Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. City Church, how you doing? All right, three of us are doing so good. We're going to bring the rest of you up with us. I'm so glad you guys are here. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here, and it's an honor to gather with you today. Um, Hey, you made it. You guys feel good? Like in the room? Anybody have a crazy week? Anyone felt like their teeth got kicked in this week? Or anybody want to kick somebody else's teeth in, right? So some of us are there. You know, I, I, I was, uh, we were getting together this morning and kind of prepping for the day. And, um, you know, I, I, I was just reminded, like, man, sometimes the week can just get crazy, right? Whether, like, it, it's good or bad is, is kind of relative at points. Sometimes you're just full and going, like, nonstop, and your mind's buzzing, and it's busy, and you're just not, like, your full self, and you're not able to be fully present to others, and you're a little bit stressed out and anxious. You know what I'm talking about, like, when you get those spaces? So I don't know if you're walking in, like, in that space, or, or if you're just, like, you know, the most awesome, joyful person on the planet, and you have no problems then you need to be all of our friends, okay? So, like, no matter where you are, man, I'm so glad that you made it to this face this morning. I, I think God has some incredible things to deposit into our hearts and souls today. And so, um, if I can just invite you right now, like, just breathe in deep with me and let it out. <laughs> you made it, right? You, you made it. And I'm really, really glad that you're here. And so, I, I just want to settle our minds. I don't know what you got going on around you what your schedule looks like today, what the week has been like, what's coming. And I know our minds tend to race, so I just want to invite you to be present right now. And not, not just because I think, you know, I, I have something valuable to say, but because I think God has something for you today. And I just want to invite you to kind of focus your heart, soul, and mind into this space. Say, okay, God, what do you have for me today? And listen, I, I realize that some of you, you know, you're walking in on, on different places on your spiritual journey. And so some of you, you know, you might be new to faith or maybe you're evaluating faith or maybe you've walked away from faith or stayed away from faith or, you know, maybe you got some baggage from, you know, some past experiences with religion and faith. And, and I realize as we walk in, you know, because our stories are so different, it means that we receive things differently, we, we approach things differently. And so I want you to know, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey today, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. And we would love to come alongside you and serve you in whatever way is helpful. And so if you're online with us, joining us, again, thank you guys so much. It's an honor to have you too. And you can connect with us through all the digital platforms and the connection cards there, okay? So we're in the book of 1 John. So every now and then here at City Church, uh, we, we kind of pivot back and forth on, on the way we do like our weekend series, if this makes sense. So we'll do like a topical series and then we'll go to like a whole book of the Bible. Um, and and I'm, I'm really hesitant, hesitant to ever use the words like the Bible says um, because the Bible doesn't say anything, right? There's not a, the Bible says, they're always connected to a historical narrative and an author and a person writing a letter to the church that the Holy Spirit inspired to write to us. Okay, so the Bible says, I'm not a fan of that language because uh, there's this idea that because the Bible says, you should believe it and just embrace it and don't ask questions or, or don't push against it or, you know, don't ask hard questions and don't doubt or, right, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? There's this idea that because the Bible says, it's just immediately authoritative. Um, and while I don't, disagree that the Bible is authoritative for what it's worth. Um, I I think there's a way better way for us to embrace the Bible, understanding that God worked through imperfect people inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak directly to us. And so so what's amazing is today we're not looking at the Bible says, today we're looking at John says, okay? And John is 
quite possibly Jesus' best and closest friend on the planet while he was alive and walking the earth, okay? And so I, I don't know, you know, um, what it looks like to get to know you, but outside of, like, spending time with you face-to-face, one of the best ways to get to know you, odds are, is, is, is to get to know the people closest to you, right? In fact, the people closest to you might know you a little better than other people do at times, right? Uh, I, I might, you know, if you're asking me about Drake, I might have, you know, some versions that I'm giving you, and I'm going to put my best foot forward at times, but then if you ask Danielle about Drake, my wife, um, she's not going to maybe sugarcoat it as much, right? She's going to let you know a little bit more about the real Drake. Um, I should probably do that myself, but right, we all have this tendency to kind of fabricate uh, our Instagram selves, <laughs> and, uh, and the invitation is, man, some of the people closest to you, they, they probably know the real you. And so one of the best ways for us to get to know Jesus is not only spending time with Jesus, but then spending time with those who are closest to him, and that's where John comes in. Now, as we get into this letter today, John is pushing 80 to 100 years old, okay? So he's not, he's not this, like, young man anymore. He's been walking with Jesus for, like, close to 60 years. And, I mean, he's got some wisdom. He's got love in his heart. He used to be, like, a really loudmouth, kind of aggressive, brash young man. I mean, he had, like, the, the, the nickname, a son of thunder. I mean, he was just this aggressive, like, get after it, eight on the Enneagram kind of guy. And then as he's begun to walk with Jesus, Jesus has been changing his heart and, and softening him. And so now he's writing more like, like a father or a grandfather father. He's got like, that, like a tender spirit. He's still someone to be respected, still, still someone to listen to, but his disposition has changed. And so as we get into it today, here's why I love this. is because no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, what I think we get from John is we get a picture of God's heart as a father toward us. This is why it's so valuable. It's because in John's older age, because he's carrying the heart of a father, he didn't just develop it on his own, but rather I think over time, God's heart has become his heart. And as he writes to us, we get a picture of God's heart toward us. So let me back up for a minute. Um, Everyone walked in um, in different degrees, but I want you to imagine that you have um, like this little dial on your heart when you walked in, okay? This little dial left to right, okay? I thought about bringing like a guitar amp on stage, but it would be too small for you to see. So just imagine, you know, like a little dial, you know what I'm talking about, right? Dishwasher, oven, whatever it is, like just a dial left to right, okay? And on one side of the dial you have pride, and on the other side of the dial, you have humility, okay? So on your heart this, this morning, you walked in with this dial, and, and somewhere that dial is set between pride and humility. You, you guys with me? So, so, so I just want you to do a self-evaluation right now, like just on your normal day-to-day, how you carry yourself, where does that, where does that dial normally set for you? You know, like, like when is it that it gets cranked all the way over to pride, and then when is it that you're really, you know, cranking it back over to humility? And then where did you walk in this morning? Maybe it's kind of neutral because you haven't had any time to fight with anybody today. Or maybe on the drive here, you totally had time to fight with people, <laughs> right? Whatever it is. But the reality, right? I don't know where you walked in, um, but, but true or false, when it comes to this struggle of pride that we all have, and it comes in different degrees, um, our relationships would be a little better if we could turn that, that dial a little closer to humility. True or false? Right? Yeah, every, every time, Right? ironically, we're aware of this issue, but then when our pride gets hurt, it like blows up. We just go full throttle, rip the knob off and just let it go, right? Like, and, and then we like suffer the consequences after the fact, but we all have this struggle with pride in our hearts. And, and here's what I think, this is setting up the letter, by the way, so just so you know where we're going. Here's where I think pride gets in the way, is as we, as we kind of focus more on ourselves, what pride, pride says is, I don't need you I don't need anybody else. I definitely don't need God. And even if we're not vocally saying that, right, with our actions, this is what's happening. Right? Because I'm going to try to control. 
I'm going to try to achieve. I'm going to try to impress. I'm going to try to uh, you know, experience. Pride says, I don't need anyone or anything because I'm going to take care of it myself, and it's about me. And, and what's ironic, what, I, what I've been processing today as we have this conversation, is, is pride is after something. So when you struggle with pride, and again, we have different ambitions, right? So, so your pride might look different than mine, and that's, that's okay. But your pride is after something. Think about it. Anytime your pride gets both hands on the steering wheel, whether it's conflict in a relationship or it's just how you're handling your, your achievements and your success and your future or your, you know, your possessions or, or your experiences or your feelings, right? whatever it is, when pride gets his hands on both, uh, both, both hands on the steering wheel, pride is actually after peace. Think about it. I'm trying to control. I'm trying to conceal. Don't feel. Let it go. Okay. That was funny. Um, that was a Disney quote in case you missed it. Pride gets hands on the steering wheel and, and, and what we're after is peace, right? If I can feel, if I can experience, if I can achieve, if I can impress, you know, right? Why do we chase those things? Why, why do we just kind of get so tunnel visioned on things and just kind of remove the, the reality of people around us? It's because we're actually chasing after peace, but it's an idea of peace that we have in our own minds. And what happens after the fact, right? If I can control the situation, if I can control the argument, if I can control what I'm achieving and, and, and getting my hands on, ironically, the result is a lack of peace, isn't it? Right, like as a result of my pride chasing peace, I actually created more disruption than I started with. That was scary. Woo! Anybody else? <laughs> just me. I thought someone was behind me sneaking up on me. Oh my goodness. Okay, so so again, I, I just want you to evaluate the dial on your heart today because it, it goes back and forth. But here's here's the amazing thing. The word humility comes from a, a Greek word, um, humus, which is not to be confused with hummus. <laughs> okay. But, but it literally means fertile ground. So I want you to imagine your heart, okay, for today. And again, I, I realize you could be anywhere on your spiritual journey, and so I'm just inviting you into a place of humility to let our hearts be fertile ground. So when we embrace humility, you know what we're doing? We're creating space for God to plant some good things into our lives, right? The seeds of love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and, and gentleness, and self-control, right? We, we're actually letting God kind of plant the right things in our heart. And I, and I think the opposite is true. When we, when we turn it all the way to pride, you know what happens? The soil of our heart becomes concrete. Nothing can grow there. Right? We just reject anything good, and it gets in the way. Here's, here's what I know about you, regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey. Even if you're not willing to completely acknowledge, you know, how, how big of a pride problem you have, you know, whatever. You're welcome to evaluate that on your own. What I do know is that you hate it when your pride gets in the way. It's frustrating. If I would have just not said that, <laughs> not bought that, not went there, not done that, not, right, if I would have, if I just could have... You're right, we always get there and we're like, ah, we have these regrets and we have this shame and we have this frustration and, and, and pride ultimately hurts us and hurts others and, and whether we're aware of it or not, it also is, is breaking the heart of God. And so John is going to write to us today to help us really find that, that, that peace that we're looking for. He's going to help us get there. But it starts with 
dealing with that dial on the heart. So let me show you the letter, okay? Here's how he kicks it off. Charlie, this is all you today, okay? You're, you're my notes guy, okay? So uh, um, no, no notes in my hands, um, which is a struggle sometimes, but we got it. First John 2, verse 12. He says, I'm, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sakes. I love this, Grandpa John, okay? I don't know if you knew this, but the early church met in primarily homes, Okay, so, you know, we have the privilege of gathering in buildings, and I love, like, how we get to gather, but the early church, right, they didn't really have, you know, space like this, right? What did they do? They gathered in homes, large, small, it didn't really matter. They gathered all over the place in big homes, small homes, it was just whoever had a home, kind of like in Boulder, right? For those of us that have single, you know, bedroom condos, we don't really gather in those homes, but then anybody that's got a home, we're, like, trying to get it. You're like, hey, you look like someone who wants to throw a party. Hook us up with that home, right? And so homes are a big deal. Why? Think about the home. What does the home do? The home creates a space where you're a little more at peace, right? We say stuff like home is where the heart is, right? Isn't that funny? What we do? Okay. All right. So, right, John is writing to the early church, but I need you to understand, like, like they're actually meeting in homes. And so, you know, we could be talking, it could be 10 people in a home, it could be 100 people in a home, depending on the size. But as, as John is writing, 80 to 100 years old, what, what he's going to do is he's going to write this letter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he's going to circulate it through all the churches in the area, and, and again, they just show up in these homes. And so I want you to imagine, it'd be like us today. Hey, guys, listen, let's, let's gather together. You know, everybody get, get in a circle. We got a letter from Grandpa John. You, you see how it is, right? But again, it's not just this guy, John, that we, you know, oh, sweet old Grandpa John who's naive and doesn't know what he's talking about and, you know, is delusional and forgets everything, right? It's not that Grandpa John. This is Grandpa John who has walked with Jesus for 60 years. This is Grandpa John who, who loves you deeply, this is Grandpa John that maybe introduced you to, to Jesus. This is Grandpa John that saw Jesus die, saw him buried, saw him raise again, had breakfast with him the next day. I mean, this is that Grandpa John. And so when he writes you a letter, right, I mean, you're leaning in. You're perking up. You're like, oh, man, John wrote us another letter. What is it, right? And, and because Jesus has changed your life, you're leaning in. More instructions on how to love and serve and follow and be encouraged. Right? This is, this is the, the family meeting, okay, in the home. And so then, hear the tone. I'm writing to you Little children. A couple of things. Let me, let me show, show you. First thing is this. I, I think, right, it's forgiven, right? right? Oh, yeah, there you go. Uh, got it right. Okay, just making sure. So two things. He's going to talk about our identity. This is so important. Okay, I don't know what your activity looks like. I don't know, you know, how, how much your life is filled with purpose and passion and direction. I don't know how much you wake up every day just feeling like, I know why I'm made, and I'm going to make a difference in the world. And it's, I love being alive. Right? I don't know how much that is your case. You're like, oh, my gosh, it's Monday. <laughs> you know, I don't know how your life operates right now. But, but before John gets into the activity conversation, he's going to talk to our identity. And this is so important. Listen. Because your identity at the end of the day has way more influence over your activity than you and I realize. Who I am helps me understand what I'm supposed to do. Can I ask you a question? Who are you? Who are you? And where are the answers to that question coming from? Because it's a question we all ask and we all try to pursue, but sometimes we're filling those with the wrong answers. Because sometimes who we are is defined by what we have, or what we do, or who we know. And I think that robs us of who God wants to say that you are. And so he, he writes to us, and, and he's going to talk to our identity. First of all, listen, he says, hey, you're, you're, you're forgiven. 
Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, this is amazing. This is that moment, right? Because our pride gets in the way, right? And it leaves us with this baggage and this guilt and this shame and this frustration. And so I don't know why you ended up in the room today, but some of us, we just carry these burdens on our backs. You're like, man. We try to hide it. We try to conceal it. But at the same time, like, we have just this guilt and shame we drag around at times. And he's saying, he just reminds us, listen, don't forget who you are. You're forgiven because of Jesus. And not, and not just, listen, this is amazing. You're forgiven for his namesake. You know, one of the, one of the most amazing things that's going to bring pre- peace to my life and to your life is when we quit making about our name and realize that there's a name that's above our name. Does this make sense to you guys? I, and I, I know, listen, this is not churchy. This is not religious. This is like the reality that, that, that Jesus invites us into a relationship with himself. He gave his life and our place for our sins. He was murdered on a cross, buried, rose again from the grave. I don't know anybody that's done that. How about you? And then on top of that, he invites us into a relationship with God. And he says, hey, you give me your worst, I'll give you my best. That's the invitation from Jesus. He says, you are forgiven. If you're a child of God, if you put your faith in Jesus, part of your identity is forgiven. Which, which should put you in a place where you can go, you can drop the baggage and the guilt and the shame and the performance and say, okay, I'm forgiven, but then what? And he tells us the second thing. He calls us little children. This is amazing, right? Not only the term of, like, you know, this endearment from grandpa, but he's actually talking to the children of God. What's he getting at? That God is your father. You know, one of the, one of the, most, the, the most amazing thing that'll set you free from the weight that you and I carry is when we trust in Jesus, he forgives us and he adopts us into the family of God. You have a father. You know what that means? Listen. When we get alone, we get, we get by ourselves with our pride, just ourselves. You know what happens? We start to feel guilty and ashamed and lonely and alone. And John's saying, you're not alone. And you're forgiven. You're not an orphan. You have a father who loves you. He's invested in you. He's proved his love by sending Jesus. You guys see how this changes things? So you say, well, why is this so important? Because when I know who I am, it can then direct what I do. Asher, the other day, my, my, my three-year-old, we were um, um, having some, some activity problems, <laughs> some behavior problems, right? He just wasn't listening, and he was doing things he wasn't supposed to be doing. And, um, and already had clear instructions and all of that. And then he kept doing it anyway, which is kind of actually, it's abnormal for Asher. Um, um, he's, he normally listens really quick. So very strange that he was like acting different and, and doing what he knew he wasn't supposed to do. So, so we're driving and I pull the car over and I get out and I get into the back seat with him and he's like, <laughs> you know, because that doesn't happen normally, right? And actually in that moment, I'm processing, I haven't even decided what I'm going to do yet, <laughs> right? I just, you know, I'm going to intimidate him. That's what I'm going to do. So I pull the car over, I get back there and I get close to him and, and Asher's like a pretty mild kid. So like he doesn't overreact. And so he just kind of has that, like, freak out face on for a second. And I say, buddy, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. I addressed his activity, but I went back to his identity. That's not who you are. I reminded him. Why? Because your identity influences your activity. Some of you, you're so stuck and trying to change your activity. You're so frustrated with what your hands keep doing and what your words keep doing, what your mind keeps doing, and, and, and you're like, oh, I just feel so stuck. Amen. And then if, if you could just let Jesus speak to your identity, 
Some of you, you, you've never been forgiven. You never trusted Jesus with your life. Right? It's not a 10-step program. It's, uh, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I want you to save me and set me free. I want to start a relationship with you. I mean, it's, it's a simple receiving of a gift that he already paid for with his life. It starts there, and that forgiveness shapes your identity. You guys with me? This is so important because John doesn't want to get it backwards. We don't need more behavior modification conversations. We need to change at a deeper level. So he goes on. In uh, verse 13, okay, so he's, he's going to write to two different groups of people. I'm going to kind of go th- quickly through these, and then he's going to give us instructions or warnings against three enemies of our soul, three enemies uh, against us, working against us constantly. So first he addresses young men. Young men, this is like going to be like 40 and under, okay? So categorically, I know this, this might not be young to you, but 40 and under is going to fall into the young men category. So let me just say this, by the way, as we get into it. Anytime you see specific instruction um, in a text, while it's addressed to a specific audience, it doesn't mean it's exclusive and not important to you, okay? So it's not like, okay, only young men, everybody else just tune out. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's not for you, right? This is, okay, there's something specific for young men, and you're going to find out why in a sec. But then it still is applicable to others, okay? So check it out. He says, I'm writing to you, young men. Again, this is Grandpa John, okay? I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, young men, because, and again, um, um, he's older, so maybe he repeats himself more than he means to. That was a joke. Okay, all right. But so I I split it because he says it twice, okay? He says, I'm I'm writing to you, young men, because you're strong. Yeah, strong. Okay. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. C.S. Lewis said it this way, and and John is warning us here in a second and giving instructions for the young men. He says, uh, um, there's an evil one. C.S. Lewis says that, that one of the greatest victories that the devil has ever won is convincing the world that he doesn't exist. I need you to understand, right? There's an enemy against your soul. There's an enemy against your marriage, against your kids, against your relationships, against your career, against your future. And it might not be to sabotage how many zeros are on your paycheck. It's probably way more oriented around things that matter for the long game. There's an enemy of your soul. C.S. Lewis also said that we either give the devil too much attention or we don't give him enough. It's these two extremes. He's a, he's a real created being He's not equal to Jesus. He's not, you know, omnipresent, right? I mean, it's not, not something to be feared in, in a, oh, my goodness, God has a, you know, equal rival. But he is an enemy of the soul. An enemy of all good things, working against you actively. And, he, and John says, hey, young men, you're strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Listen, what's, what's the enemy after? For young men specifically, and this is unique because uh, if you do any studies on like, um, by the way, if you're a lady in the room, like women are just crushing it right now, okay? I was doing some studies online about like, you know, men and women and how our society's doing, and women are crushing it, okay? Women are crushing it, and guys are less so, okay? Some of you, man, you're crushing it, way to go you, but there is definitely this consistent gap of, of, well, I'm going to call it, because of pride, these two distractions, Okay? Um, either isolation or achievement. M- men have this thing, I don't need anybody, and this is what's going to make me successful. And if those are out of alignment, what they do is they rob us of the community that God wants us to have, and we put our hands and our life and our strength. Listen, if the devil can rob you of anything, he's going to rob you of your strength. Strength misdirected. You're going to spend your entire life chasing something that has no value at the end of it. So you can earn all the dollars you want and have all the careers you want and have all the adventures you want and nothing to show for it. 
He says, your strength, if the devil can do it, is going to be misdirected. So he's saying, be strong. He said, how do we be strong as young men? He says, because the word of God abides in you. You don't overcome the evil one because you're a dude, <laughs> right? right? It has nothing to do with that. He says, the reason you have overcome the evil one is because the word of God, it abides in you. Remember that, that humility dial? Remember that fertile soil of the heart? Right? He said, man, you're letting God deposit things into your soul. You know why we have so many father wounds in our culture, in our country? You know why we have so many father gaps? It's because the strength has been misdirected. Paul would tell us that we are transformed. We see change by the renewing of our mind. This is when the word of God gets in you, it abides in you. It makes its home in your heart. So what this is is an invitation for some of us to put down the controller and pick up the Bible. And for some of us, it's to slow down the throttle on our own achievement and success and pick up the Bible and say, God, help me understand what's important right now. Here's what I know about you. If you're a young man in the room living in Boulder, Colorado, you want your life to count. And you're strong. And we need your strength. And Jesus wants to use your strength. But it matters where it's pointed. I have this picture in my mind. Anybody ever boat? <laughs> you know, like speed boats? You ever seen that, like, itty-bitty little dinghy? with like a massive boat on the back, you know what I'm talking about? And then, and then every time it's on a fail video, right, on YouTube or something, and what do they do? They throttle it up, and it just takes off like a rocket with zero direction, right? It just and it ultimately ends up crashing into something or flipping or whatever, right? That, that's how I picture young men, right? It's like all gas and no steering, <laughs> right? And, it's, and, and so there's lots of strength, lots of power, but just like full throttle wherever we point, and hopefully we land somewhere good. Well, that's not great, right? I mean, that's not probably the best use of our time, energy, and resources. So, so he's giving us encouragement. Hey, there's a real enemy for your soul, specifically young men. And I think he's speaking to something. I'm not sure why this is, but there is this continual target on the back of young men to not take responsibility for their lives. And he's just inviting us back into something better. Now watch this. He goes on and he says, I'm also writing to you fathers. Men, if you're 40 or over, this is you. 40 or over. And again, listen, young, young women, older ladies, women, grandmas, moms. There we go. That's the one I was looking for. <laughs> it's like, what's, the other one? what's the opposite of fathers? Um, right? It's still applicable. Right? Again, this is, not, this is not in the exclusion of another. Right? Sometimes we can get there. Don't, don't let your mind go there. I'm writing to you fathers. Check this out. Because you know him. 40 and over, you start to move from like the big brother and, and the, the strength era to the legacy era. And our culture still has an enemy on older men too. And I have this picture. So if young men are a speedboat, older men are like just in the nice like chill fishing boat and, and they're taken off. They have the, you know, a lot of control over what's going on, lots of steering, but the rope's still tied to the dock. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Like, they're just not going anywhere. There's just this, like, I know how to drive a boat, and I'm really good at driving a boat, but I'm not making any progress because it's still tied to the dock. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's this whole generation of men who are checked out because, because they're still pursuing what they want for themselves, but they, they, they don't recognize that their wisdom is being wasted. Right? He's saying, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. 
What he's talking about is your influence in other people's lives. As a father, one of your greatest influences, listen, if you're 40 or over, don't waste your wisdom. Right? If the young men are all power, then the father at least has like a rudder in the water, right? We gotta marry the two. And he's saying, don't waste your wisdom. You have something to give. And let me give you this. Listen, while, while you can, you know, manliness can be defined in a lot of ways, and so you can be your own kind of man, and that's fine, right? Like, whatever your hobby is, all that stuff is great. But he doesn't speak to any of that. What does he speak to? Your greatest contribution as a father is because you know him. You, you know what younger men and women need? Older men and women to come alongside them who know Jesus, love Jesus, and have been walking with Jesus deeply and can teach us to do the same. He says, that's your greatest contribution. Do not wait. Listen, listen. We don't need fathers to sit in a room. We need fathers to father. We need mothers to mother. So I've had a lot of people hit us up at City Church. Hey, hey, do you have a, you have a this group or that group, right? We have city groups that are specific to like age or like, you know, social class or whatever. I mean, people are just looking for like a, a, a niche in a city group. And we, we're getting tons of emails, people looking for very specific pieces. And over and over again, they're like, hey, you know, is my age in there? I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah. Do you have a, a group for my age? Well, not, not really. We have a group with your age in it. And, and they're looking for a specific group of friends, and I hear that. But I think we rob ourselves of community and what God wants to do in and through the church when we separate ourselves, right? We want older women and younger women and older men and younger men and kids all together. And so we've got everybody in every group. <laughs> Does this make sense to you guys? Because we need each other. Humility says, I need other people. And pride says, I got it. Okay? Let me, let me show you how he lands the plane here. Hey, Daniel, I want to invite you to come. Go ahead, buddy. As Daniel comes up, I'm going to, I'm going to give you this last text. So he already gave us one enemy, right? And, and here's, here's the deal. You, you and I are chasing peace. Our pride gets in the way. He already told us about our identity. He already warned us of one enemy. Okay, so you have an external enemy, the devil, who's genuinely after your soul. If he can keep you from Jesus, he's going to do so. But once you give your life to Jesus, if he can keep you ineffective, he's going to do so. If he can get you to waste your life and your hands and your time and your energy and your strength and your wisdom anywhere else, he's going to get you to do it. What I'm inviting you into is your life was crafted with purpose. There's so much for you to put your hands and your heart and your mind to. And so he says, hey, don't love the world or the things in the world. And what he's talking about is the value system. But in anything set up against God's values of loving God and people, right? He's not talking about the world as in the people in the world. He's talking about the value system of the world. He says, don't love the world. And if anyone does love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And what he's saying here is, that is actually an opposite. He's saying one of the evidences that we're struggling with our identity, thank you, Seth, one of the evidences that we're struggling with our identity, we're struggling to embrace the reality that, that God is our Father is when we start chasing the things of the world. And he's going to give us those in a minute. So this is his value system. I want you to imagine that, that there's this river that you're living in. And it's like Boulder Creek right now. I mean, it's aggressive, and it's pushing, and it's deep. And that is the world that we live in. 
And there is a cultural tide. There is a cultural current that is pushing against your life, pushing against your values, pushing against your mind. And if you take the oars out of the water, if you just kind of abandon ship to what's happening around you and you let life happen to you, you will not stay where you are. There is no neutral in this life. And so he's inviting us, rudders in the water, pedal to the metal, <laughs> against the current. Not aggressively, not weird. Listen, I know you've seen people with picket signs and all that, right? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about giving your entire life to loving God and people. That's where we're going to find peace. That's where we find purpose. Check this out. He says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, <laughs> that ever get you in trouble? Prime day, dang it. <laughs> Didn't even know I needed that until I saw it. The pride of life, success, achievements, who I am, what am I known for? He says, those are not from the Father, right? The world's trying to define you. The world's trying to give you identity, and it's unstable. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt others. He says, you got two enemies externally, the devil and the world working against you. But you got a third enemy he calls the flesh. That's that internal disposition, right? Sometimes the problems that we have are not out there, are they? There's some stuff in here that definitely gets in the way. And he's saying, listen, those things are going to hurt you. So what do we do? How, how do we not just waste our life on what feels good and what we want and what people are going to uh, you know, admire and gratify? How do we make sure we don't waste our lives? He already gave it to us. So I'll give it to you again. The first thing. Charlie, do you have that? It starts with what Jesus said. Thank you. That's not going to be found out there. The words of Jesus said, peace, I leave with you, and my peace I give to you. Not, not what? Not as the world gives do I give to you. Listen, this is not a haterade day on, on the world, okay? I love Instagram, love stuff, love, love adventures, you know, love all that stuff. But listen. When it comes to the cultural current that we live in, there are some things that you can receive. There are some things you need to reject. And there are some things that need to be redeemed. And it's our job to be so close to the heart of the Father that we know which is which. Now, he gives us our identity. I'll give it to you again. The first thing is this. You're forgiven. How do we fight that? We go back to this reality. You're forgiven. And Jesus, you're forgiven. And you have a father. That's who you are. And that's enough. That's what we need, is to embrace this identity and let it influence us with what our hands, our hearts, and our minds need to do. So as we move into a time of communion, and a time of response, I just want to invite you, okay? Jesus gave his life so that we could be saved and set free. And John ends with this text. Let me show you. Here's how he ends it. He says, friends, the world is passing away. The world is passing away along with his desires. But whoever does the will of God lives forever, abides forever. You know, there's only two things that are going to last forever. 
That's me and you. So are we investing in the things that matter most? Jesus said, I I came to deal with that internal problem. And he he was sitting around a table with some friends. And he he broke the bread and he said, hey guys, this is going to be my body. Broken for you. And he passes it around and they eat. And that same evening, he takes a cup of wine and he says, this is my blood. It's to be poured out for you. And this moment is pointing to what Jesus is going to do on the cross for you and I. To deal with that brokenness on the inside. To give us the power against the the current on the outside. To forgive us, to set us free, to adopt us into the family of God. And so as we sing these next songs, you're going to be invited to take communion. To come and remember and reflect on what the sacrifice of Jesus means for you. And one of the questions I want you to ask is, God... Who am I? And why am I here? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you. You you don't need to take communion. But as you reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus, reflect on what that means for you. That he gives us his best in exchange for our worst. And so as you come up, the the, the band's going to lead us in a song. You can come up when you're ready. We're going to have Seth and Kelsey on both sides here. You're going to be able to take the bread. You're going to rip off a piece. Right, it's already ripped off, okay? Um, and you're going to dip it in the wine, or we, all, we have wine or grape juice, okay? We have gluten-free and regular. You're going to dip it, and you're going to take it back to your seat, and you'll be able to receive it there, okay? And as you do it, I, I want you to hear the words of Seth and Kelsey, because it might be a little loud. They're going to say, his body broken for you, and his blood shed for you. So what is it for you today? What is it that God wants you to put your hands to? What is it that you need to put down? What is it that you need to embrace? Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for Jesus who who gives us new life. Thank you for your incredible love that you don't um, just slap us on the wrist and move on, but you're a father who loves us and adopts us and verify and you change our identity. You don't just make us better, you make us new. So as we reflect in this moment, and I pray for any of my friends in the room who are not followers of Jesus, that today they would be moved by your heart for them and your sacrifice for them, and they they would say yes to you for the first time. Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I want that relationship. I want to walk with you. For the others of us in the room, and there's an enemy towards our soul, we need to be aware. God, God, would you show us where to put our strength? Would you allow us to look up and apply our wisdom? Would you show us the relationships to embrace, the areas to extend forgiveness, the times to say we're sorry? God, would you help us cultivate the discipline of walking with you and picking up that Bible daily to hear from you and to listen and obey? Not a routine, but a relationship. Father, whatever your next steps are for us, and would you make them very clear as we worship together and take communion. And God, as always, not only are we grateful for what you have done for us, but God, we desperately want to see our friends, our family, our coworkers, and our neighbors experience your love. 
And God, we receive the reality that the best way for that to happen is going to be through our lives as we live, work, and play. Jesus, would you use us to love and serve so that our friends 